And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Monday morning. It's trade deadline week. We are four days from the NBA trade deadline. And the week started, opened with the somewhat expected, but somewhat, not somewhat, very sad news that Joel Embiid is going to have surgery to repair or fix or address something in his left meniscus, which has bothered him for years and will miss some period of time. Woj reported the door is open and perhaps wide open for Mr. Embiid to return sometime this season. Um, It will depend from what I've heard on what they find when they get in there and what kind of things they actually have to do to his meniscus. Um, So we will learn on on the timetable. I have many thoughts on this, but uh, welcome into Tim McMahon. How are you, sir? Howdy, partner. It is a pleasure to be here. How are you? I'm good, man. You know, I did the Embiid big picture stuff last week. We all know what this dude is and why this sucks. I mean, the, sometimes the injury analysis is, isn't really complicated. Like You can't get a whole column out of this sucks and it's really sad. And we all know just, this dude was, you know, I wrote in a column once. And as someone who watched one of these guys up close, uh, I would be interested in your thoughts on this. I wrote without hyperbole that this season averaging 36 points a game, which is like, that's not even a real thing. Um but it is a real thing uh, on really efficient shooting um, and averaging 1.05 points per minute of NBA action, which is number one all time, including the Will Chamberlain video game number seasons. Number one ever, period. Greatest, greatest permanent scoring season ever, which means you're in the conversation for greatest season at putting the ball in the basket at a sport that is called basketball. Um Greatest scoring season of all time. You're in the conversation. I wrote a column a few weeks ago that on those nights when he's just rolling and he's got the jumper, which is just effortless. Just no one can touch that thing. And he and he'll mix in the post moves, mm-hmm. uh the the balletic the balletic post moves, the dream shake post moves, and then he'll mix in the like I'm just going to put you in the basket right now because I'm just angry and cranky and I didn't get a call the last time and I'm just going to shove your ass under the basket and dunk. He honestly, this sounded hyperbolic when I wrote it, and then I wrote it, and I was like, it's actually kind of fitting. He looks like some kind of unholy combination of Dirk, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Shaq on the nights that he's rolling. Like, he's got the power to put, not quite Shaq, no one is Shaq. Like, the youngsters, the young people just don't have any idea what Shaq would do to other human beings. It was just absolutely impossible to guard him, but... He could you, you see a little bit of the I'm just going to shove you under the basket stanchion and dunk on your face. Olajuwon, we know they share the footwork and the fakes and everything, and like the jumper, it's it's it looks different. It's it's not as soft and silky and the one legged and the fading and all that stuff. But the accuracy and the ability to dominate a game from 15 feet away is Dirk is Nowitzkian, and it's just such a bummer. Um, it's such a bummer. And and all that said, like, you know, we know what the guy is. He's an MVP. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And when you consider that he entered the league with a, a, a broken navicular bone in his foot, which is a death sentence for a lot of big men, and a stress fracture in his back, which is sounds horrible, his career is A++. And we, like, I'm just hoping... I hope in three days, whenever the surgery happens, two days, one day, five days, we get the press release. It's like, 
oh my god, like minor cleanup, he'll be back in two months and like should be weight bearing in a month and let's make an honest run at this. But, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see. What was your first, what was your first reaction? I mean, the obvious reaction is what a bummer and not just because of how dominant that he's been. And I agree with you that I'm not sure we've ever seen this type of blend of power and finesse. Uh, you know, of of just being able to bully people, but also dominate with a soft touch and and with the skill, with the footwork. But man, this was this was supposed to be the season that Embiid got the right to have a full, healthy playoff run. Got the right to show, hey, this is what I can do, given a chance if healthy. I mean, the season started with people wondering, is Embiid going to force his way out? Holy moly, Philly's a mess. James Harden's. Uh, really put the Sixers in a bind, or you know, Daryl Moore, if you want to put blame on him, whatever, whatever the case may be. And Embiid says, "Hey, we're good." Tyrese Maxey's a rising star in his league, and he was absolutely right about that. I'm the reigning MVP. The 76ers are going to be just fine, and he was right, and he was proving himself right every single night that he was on the floor. And it's just, you know, his his career, like he's a Hall of Famer right now but his career is also one of the great what ifs because there, like you said there's just been so many injuries from literally the day that he stepped into the league and he hasn't been able to have that playoff breakthrough uh health has been one of the primary factors in that and unfortunately it looks like that's going to be the case again this season i think even the best case scenario <laughs> You're not getting the full historically dominant version of Joel Embiid again this season, even if he is able to come back. Yeah, we're going to see the timetable. You know, and again, to your point, like he missed his first two seasons in the NBA because of his foot. Like that's how bad the foot and the reoccurrence of the foot and all that stuff was. What he's been able to accomplish in that body is nothing short of extraordinary. Um, and to your point, you know, like I'm not I'm hesitant to say too much before we know the timetable, but, you know, there's going to probably be a period of time where he really can't really do anything. So he'll lose yeah. some conditioning, um, maybe lose some strength, whatever. And then he's going to ramp up and whatever time he comes. I mean, it's it's almost all star now. Um, you know, if let's just if he missed six weeks or two months, which feels which feels positive, you're right at the playoffs by that point. Yeah. And you're, you're ramping up in the playoffs is no joke, especially now. I mean, look, I, I don't mean to be like Debbie Downer, but they're fifth yeah. in the East. And I think their primary concern, other than Joel Embiid's health, both this season and long term, because I think it's pretty clear that this is something they're going to have to manage for the rest of his career. This knee is going to be an issue probably forever. And for his personal life, you know, Perk had a whole thing last week on TV about like playing with your kid in the driveway. Like that's yeah. for big guys like this, that's a real thing. And his professional life, this is going to be something that's going to be managed going forward. But look, they're fifth and they've had um, tied for the easiest schedule in the whole league so far. You know who they're tied with, by the way, in terms of opponent winning percentage for easiest schedule? I don't. Washington. Do you know how hard it is to have the easiest schedule when you're well, the you, Wizards and you can't play yourselves? 
<laughs> like, maybe, hey, maybe they're counting inter-squad scrimmages from training camp in that in that form. I mean, I haven't looked at the Wizards' schedule yet. They may not win another game the rest of the season if they've played the easiest schedule so far. Um, so I, the Sixers uh, and Tobias Harris has missed some games recently. Melton's been out for a while, but Toom's missed yeah. some games recently. Like It's not just Embiid. Now, the good thing they have going for them is they have a five-game cushion on number six. But look... Five, six, seven, eight, they're all coming in the East. I mean, Miami, we'll see if they can right the ship a little bit. They lost to the Clippers last night. The Clippers just never lose anymore. Um, like, they should be safe from the play-in. Like, no matter how injury-riddled you are, five games with 30 to go is a pretty big cushion. But, man, they need to get the rest of these guys healthy soon or else that could be – we could wake up in three days and that lead could be three games. And, like, you're going to be an underdog in the first round and you're going to be ramping up like ramping up to play the Knicks or the Cavs or whatever in the first round, the like Bucks. that's 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 a that's a tough that's a tough road. And like, look beyond that, I mentioned managing it for for the rest of the rest of his career. Like, I I I, I just think that that means what it sounds like. That means like he may never play sixty five games again, right. and and that's and that's got to be okay with the Sixers and everybody. Despite what it means for all NBA and MVP and all that, his legacy as an individual player is secured. But I have some thoughts on that, Tim McMahon. I would like to hear those thoughts. Uh, I listen. My thing is this: with MVP, if you don't play sixty-five games, I can't make the case that you're the most valuable player in the league because I always say, as dominant as Embiid was, seventy-five percent of Joel Embiid is not more dominant than ninety percent of. Nikola Jokic or Shea Gildas Alexander this season or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, All NBA is the one where, listen, man, if Embiid's on the court for whatever you want to say, and it won't be this year, but in future years, if he plays 60 games and he's putting up, <laughs> you know, 34, 11, and six and, and anchoring a defense, I still think you can make a pretty strong case. So that's one of the 15 best players in the NBA, the 15 most impactful players in the NBA. You nailed it. I think we need to, the union and the league needs to rethink um, both for Supermax purposes and for all NBA purposes, the 65 game limit for third team all NBA. I think third team all NBA should be treated differently than first team and second team because I, as a voter in the past, have done on third team NBA I have put guys on, like I've done it with Kevin Durant and LeBron James and probably others that I'm forgetting, guys who play 55, 58 games but have incredible seasons. And it's one of these things like we all know that this is the best guy. And it's like if it comes down to like a good Julius Randle season over 78 games and an unbelievable LeBron season over 58 games, like I'm going to put LeBron on third team all NBA because it's third team. It's not first team which is an incredibly high honor. It's not second team, which is an incredibly high honor. Still a very high honor, but it's the least high of the high honors. Connected to that, I think they need to tweak the Supermax rules so that third team All-NBA does not qualify you for the full bump mm-hmm. or even maybe any of the bump. I mean, that would be subject to negotiation 26%, 28%, because what's going to happen is all these older guys are going to miss the 65 game limit and we're going to have younger guys make it who are like good, but their teams are going to be like, man, Supermax for this guy? Like yes. that doesn't seem right. So I think we need to read, like if you make second team, first team, you've had the kind of season 
where you're probably a super max player. We see every year third team, there's like one or two spots you're like, oh boy, candidate pool kind of got pretty thin here. I think third team needs to be changed because I, I'm totally fine with guys playing 50, 55 games and making third team all NBA. That's that's my idea. That's my yeah, I think I think that's an interesting concept. Um I, I agree with you as far as the unintended consequences of the 65 game rule bumping guys out and then getting new supermax candidates in. That's essentially what you're doing. You're getting guys who would not have qualified for supermax basically saying, "Hey, I qualified. Show me the money." And if the whole point of this is to try to maximize the opportunity for teams, particularly small market teams, to continue building around their own players, you know, the guys that they drafted, developed and all that kind of stuff. If the whole point of it is that you don't want to put those franchises at odds with their very good but not great players to the point where they say, hey, he's technically eligible, but if we give him that, we we are completely just killing ourselves from a salary cap perspective. And I, I think you'll find yourself in situations like Kimball Walker with the Charlotte Hornets um, where you're essentially expediting the departure of some of these guys from their uh, from their home franchises. And it also can cut the other way where um, a team, so, someone may become eligible for the Supermax that catches a team by surprise, but the t- and, and it puts them at odds, as you say. Like, it, mm-hmm. like there's all of a sudden a little bit of attention there. And the team may be the one that misplays it by not really understanding how good the guy is, that he actually is this good. And the, the, the sort of story of that one to me is Jimmy Butler with Chicago when the Bulls were like, I don't know, like, can we build a contender around him making X percent of the cap? And yeah, it turns out Jimmy Butler is amazing. And you guys have been team playing tournament ever since then, basically. And currently this year, the fighting Bulls are ninth and uh, hell bent on staying ninth, it appears. Um, the hey, other, have you watched the Knicks lately? Uh, the Knicks are very good. Yes, I've watched Brunson? the Knicks a lot. How's Jalen Brunson doing? Uh, he is uh, he is the mayor, I think, of New York City now. I think he's been appointed mayor and is just jab-stepping and up and undering and shoulder-checking and mid-ranging guys to death. He's making Mike Breen lose his mind on television every single night. Now they lost to the Lakers, and LeBron played some like peak LeBron defense on him, and they doubled him, and AD swatted everything at the rim, but... Yeah, Jalen Brunson's good, and you know we'll talk about the Mavericks later. But let's just say the Mavericks gone a run, and Kyrie's balling, and Kyrie's been balling all season. Like that, uh, we, Kyrie's been balling when he's played. When he's played, yes, fair. Um, and if if things go sunny in Dallas, mm-hmm. the Brunson thing will gradually recede from our memories or from the memories of everyone who's normal and not a diehard. Like that is a pivotal blunder that lingers forever for the next 10 years in terms of what you have to trade, what your cap sheet looks like, all of it, um, even even though you might forget it sometimes. Okay, speaking of trades, look, uh, Woj has reported this. I've heard the same thing, that the Sixers are still operating as a team that has a healthy Joel Embiid in the playoffs in terms of like we have these picks that we got from the James Harden trade. We have expiring contracts that are big and we can send them out hunting for players who can help their team now even though they also have 50 plus million dollars of cap space coming up this summer um and and you know well 
the timing of the surgery is actually relevant. It's, yes. it's not clear when it's going to be. If I'm the Sixers, I'd like it to be soon because if something happens in that room and he's out longer than expected, I got to pivot into like, let's keep our chips totally intact for the summer when we go up to five tradable first round picks, according to Bobby Marks and all that cap space. I think probably, and look, that's what the Sixers should be signaling. Like we're still a win now team. We're still going to do this and that. I have to believe that at their core, whatever percentage of them was dialed towards win now has dialed back a little bit, at least, um, and that they're going to err a little bit more on trying to thread the needle of if we get players that are good and mm-hmm. we expend draft capital to get them, let's minimize the draft capital. Let's make sure either because they're on expiring contracts or because they're on contracts, multi-year contracts that are small enough that they do not impact our cap space too much for the summer. Even though, Mr. McMahon, as you well know, the potential list of targets for that cap space has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled with every trade and every extension. And I don't know what's going on with the Paul George extension talks, but Mm -hmm. my expectation based on what I've heard is that sometime, whether it's during the season, after the season, whenever, I I would bet pretty heavily that the Clippers get that deal done and that he's not a functional free agent either. So it's an interesting position for them to be in. It just just sucks. I don't know if you have any Sixers trade deadline thoughts. Well, I I think that it's reasonable to look at this free agency class and honestly just the general concept of free agency in the NBA. Like Jalen Brunson might be the best player to move in free agency for a while Um, and, and say, okay, you're saving that cap space for who? Having said that, cap space is not just about free agency. If they are to make a trade this summer, the ability to take a player into that cap space or make a lopsided financial trade, you know, that that can make things much easier. So, but I don't necessarily think that you go into it and say, we have to save that cap space. We have to save that cap space. It's you have to, whatever move they do that impacts that cap space, you have to really like that for next year. Yes. You know, going forward into the future. If, if it's a pre-agency type of deal, that's great as long as you feel like, hey, this is going to also significantly uh, bump up our chances of winning the championship next season as well. Yeah, either it's a player like or players like Alex Caruso, who's on a multi-year deal at less than $10 million a year, so doesn't eat up that much cap space. And he's obviously he's a fit on any team. From what I've heard, the Bulls continue to say we're not for whatever offers you got out there, not good enough for us to trade mm-hmm. Alex Caruso. We love him. We want to keep doing whatever it is that we're doing Um, or a Bruce Brown or even a DeMar DeRozan, which nobody is. I can't believe how little buzz there is about DeMar DeRozan. Maybe it signals that there's just not much of a market for DeMar DeRozan on an expiring contract and the Bulls in a position where like we either have to extend him uh, or I'm sorry, resign him in the summer or lose him for nothing. They should be looking to trade him in my opinion, but maybe if there is no buzz, it means the Bulls will have some good leverage over DeMar DeRozan in free agency. The market won't be super robust. But a, a, a guy on an expiring that you wink, wink, think you can resign at a number, Bruce Brown, that doesn't necessarily impact your cap sheet. So you have 25 left over for that lopsided trade or 30 left over for that lopsided trade. Um, just a bummer for Philly. And, you know, look, that race for number two in the East, 
pretty wide open between Milwaukee, Cleveland, and the Knicks, and it's going to be an interesting last 30 games in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and, and the Bucks. listen, it's been a struggle. I personally witnessed live with my own eyes Doc Rivers uh, to the point that we're talking right now, his lone win with the Milwaukee Bucks, and that was coming back from 25 points against the Dallas Mavericks, led by Luka Doncic on a bad wheel with a whole bunch of key guys sitting over there in street clothes. So uh, the Bucks have some some things to figure out for sure. Yeah, when we get off this podcast, I'm going to watch their uh, at least the second half of their game against Utah last night. I didn't have a ch- chance to see oh, that, the, but I saw Utah blew, blew the doors off them. The, uh, the, fourth the fourth quarter, quarter. is a, yeah, the fourth quarter is a sight to see, and you know, second game of a back to back and altitude and all that. But you know, it's 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 been tough sledding for Doc Rivers and. Uh, First of all, first of all, sure it's, all it's it's Eastern Conference All Stars head coach Doc Rivers. Let's get let's get it right. The minimum, the least. I'm pretty confident the least amount of wins ever for an All Star coach. It is begrudging Eastern Conference All Star coach Doc Rivers. I would oh, say. Oh shucks! Oh, I wish I could give Adrian Griffin the bonus. Oh shucks! Oh, and the, and the no. All Star ring. I got a feeling uh, Adrian Griffin might tell him to put that All Star ring somewhere else. <laughs> Let's talk about the trade deadline real quickly. Just, I, I don't want to get too, well, whatever. Um, I mentioned the Sixers and five first-round picks in July versus three now. That's true of a lot of buyers, potential buyers. And most of the league in the universe of the play-in tournament is buyers. Even the, even like the Hawks, <clears throat> who are 10th and have been one of the more depressing teams in the league this year, they're on a four-game winning streak, despite Clint Capella now being out for a bit. And they're 22 and 27. Point differential is like, okay. Um, like, I'm not sure they're afraid of anyone catching them for 10th. Like, are the Brooklyn Nets going to catch fire? They're 11th. And after that, it's just a morass of crap in the East. <laughs> like, the Hawks may just say, like, we. so we get into the play-in. Who are we scared of in the play-in? Why not take our chances? And maybe we get in. Maybe we get 7th. Maybe we get the aforementioned Milwaukee Bucks or whatever, and like we're two-two in the first round, and like everything's great. Maybe we don't trade Dejounte Murray anyway. On the picks thing, Sixers we mentioned your hometown Dallas Mavericks will have three tradable first-round picks in July. They have one now. The Bucks will have two tradable first-round picks in July. They have, I believe, zero now. The Lakers will have three tradable first-round picks in July. They have one now. The Heat will have, I didn't do the calculation on the Heat, but it will be more Mm -hmm. than they have now. And what's interesting about that is that the teams who are selling and specifically sell or would would be classified, let's say, as sellers and are specifically holding players on multi-year contracts, like, say, Kyle Kuzma, for instance, Mm -hmm. or, or DeJounte Murray, for instance, can look at those sellers and say, well... We, we have these guys under control through beyond next season. Why why are we going to trade them to you now when you have so little to trade, when we can mm-hmm. hold them to July, and then we can really bid you off against each other when you have a lot more stuff to trade us? And I think that's interesting. And what it does is it maybe shifts everybody's focus to the guys on expiring contracts on those teams who they cannot hold into July and next season and get that pick bounty or at least get that auction of a pick bounty for that's the interesting environment. I think that we're working with. And by the way, one of the, 
one of the potential trades, mega trades, big trades. I, I don't know that there's a Zach Levine trade anymore now that he's out for the season. You would want to say if you're Detroit and you want Zach Levine, well, why do you care that he's injured? It's not like you're doing anything this season, but maybe you want to see how he recovers from that injury, given he's been injured here and there all season. And also you'd like to win 10 games. Um, and say, so, you, don't want to, you don't want to make NBA history, uh, any more NBA history, I should say. <laughs> and they look like semi-competent recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Asar Thompson's had a couple of big games. I want more Asar Thompson in my life. Um, so that's the environment we're talking about. Yeah, the, the uh, NBA Today five-hour trade deadline special headlined by maybe not even the DeJounte Murray trade is going to be a fun five hours or whatever it's going to be. But there's always something. There's always something that pops up. Well, you know, it's, you, you mentioned the Kuzmas where, hey, maybe you can get more this summer. But then there and or expirings, but then there's a guy like Andrew Wiggins, right? And I don't know that Andrew Wiggins is a guy you're getting more for this summer. And if you're the Warriors, you know, maybe there is a uh, a deal where uh, what looked like a team friendly contract when he signed it no longer does, and you can get out from under that and minimize the financial pain that is amplified times you know whatever the math is because of the luxury tax and. Look, in the specific case of the Mavericks, a month or so ago, I was saying I don't feel the same sense of desperation as last year to make a traded upgrade. It's been a very rough month. It's been a rough month from a health standpoint. Uh, It's been a rough month from a running Luka into the ground standpoint. Um, He's been spectacular individually. Uh, The numbers that he's putting up are absolutely ridiculous. But they are sinking in the standings. They are in danger of falling into the bottom half of the play-in. I don't think we need to, you know, really have a whole lot of discussion about what a disaster of being a team that doesn't make it out of the play-in would be for Dallas to not make the playoffs for two straight years when you have a perennial All NBA first team player, uh, you know, an, an MVP candidate, and. You know, there's no question that the Mavericks are being aggressive, exploring upgrades at the power forward, despite the fact that their biggest swing this summer, aside from landing Derek Lively the second in the draft, which has been huge for them and, and a great move, their biggest swing in terms of free agency slash sign and trade was getting Grant Williams, who for a month looked like a great fit, and it has been rough since then. Um, boy. I, I thought I thought he was going to be a really good fit. I like the addition. I thought the 23 swap rights they sent to San Antonio in that three-team deal were terrifying. Uh-oh. And I still think the latter, uh, the former as far as the great fit, there's reason for concern there. Big, big, big-time concern. All that being said, you know, they're looking, you know, they're in the conversations. You, you know, you hear them with Kuzma. You hear them with P.J. Washington. Andrew Wiggins is is one to watch there because I think that's one that maybe that can happen without sacrificing draft capital or at least first-round draft capital. I'm not sure why. I don't mean to be uh, flip about this. I'm not sure why any team would trade for Andrew Wiggins right now. Um, he has $26 million, $28 million, and a $30 million player option on his contract and just has shown not very many signs of being the player he was two years ago <clears throat> in the playoffs for whatever reason. Now, he's even like lately, 
when he's had a little bit of an uptick here and there in this new starting five with Draymond at the, at the five and Kaminga and Wiggins, Steph and Clay, um, then he will have like a one of four plays 19 minutes. And it's not a lot. It's not a ton of money in the scheme of the new contract landscape, but it's like, I'm not, I don't know that I'm like getting ahead of myself to trade for Andrew Wiggins, even if the price is cheap. And on the flip side, if I'm the Warriors, it's awesome that this Wiggins Kaminga green thing has worked. That doesn't change my calculation on Andrew Wiggins at all. Right. If I can get out from under that contract, I'm doing it. Well, and, and I share your concerns about Andrew Wiggins. And, you know, the simple fact is as awesome as he was during their championship run and the Mavericks saw that firsthand, he did as good a job defending Luka as, yep. you know, frankly, anybody has. Um, he was rebounding. He was, you know, a, a really good offensive player during that run. He was a great player during that championship run and the much larger sample size of his career is what we're seeing right now or similar to what we're seeing right now um having said all that you know the the Mavericks are in a situation where I think they are exploring every option and I think there is a you know, the, there are deals that could be put together where I think they would, go ahead and take the risk of of trying to have Andrew Wiggins revitalize his career in Dallas. I think they'd have to, you know, they'd have to move out. And just looking at their cap sheet, you know, they're going to have to move out some longest-term money regardless. Um, I don't think it's something where, again, if, if you're giving up a first-round pick, your only first-round pick you can move right now to get Andrew Wiggins, that is reeking. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, there's no chance I'm doing that. Exactly. And by the way, if I'm the Warriors, I'm like, you don't even offer me that much salary relief for the next two seasons. Like I've got to take Rashawn Holmes as a $13 million player option for next year. I've got to take Kleba who finally had a good game over the weekend at 21 points. He's got two more years at 11, a pop. And like, it's unclear if he can ever stay healthy. Like I'm not even from the Warriors perspective, like I'm not psyched about, about that trade or, or Grant Williams. And maybe if you're the Warriors, you know what? That's I, fine with me. Yeah, I don't mind Grant that. Williams that's a, that's a small contract. It's it's funny. One of the issues with Grant Williams is, you know, he, he you look at him as a 3 and D player. He's shooting 37% from three for the season. You say, wow, that's not bad. Well, about a month in, he was shooting 50%. <laughs> it's, been, it's been subpar for a good, you know, two, two and a half months. And then he has not made the Mavericks defense better. Zach, you and I talked about, I think we've both written about, uh, a month or so ago, Ooh, hey, these Mavericks, they're getting feisty defensively. Well, the three Ds have all missed some time since then. I'm talking about Derek Lively the second, Derek Jones Jr., and Dante Exum. Uh, they're all three banged up right now. Those are the three main reasons that their defense was drastically improved. We can talk about Luka's effort and all that. You're also getting into the running in the ground of Luka conversation there. It's hard for him to play hard defensively when he's logging 44 high usage minutes. Um, but and the, he, we- he wears the minutes on his sleeve. Yes. Like he, he's got scratches. He's got the cup marks. He's got, he's very sweaty. Like Luca, Luca does not look like a guy who's like, wow, he, that's an effortless 44 minutes for Luca. No, his, his, his ankles banged up. You know, he, he tweaked that again uh, the other night against Milwaukee. Um, and the Mavericks have sunk back down to 25th in defensive efficiency. So the Mavs are four and eight in their last twelve games, twenty six and twenty three for the season. They have a pretty easy schedule left, but 
they owe five road games. They have five more home than road for the season. Um, they have no lineup that has played more than 99 minutes for the season, which is absolutely crazy for a good team. Uh, to put that in perspective, there are only um, two teams that don't have any lineups that have played 100 minutes yet, other than Dallas. Charlotte, you might they're not very good. And no, Memphis. Memphis might set the record. They don't have a lineup that has played more than 68 minutes this season. 68. Zach, Sunday in Boston, the Grizzlies had 13 guys out due to injury. 13. That's more players than used to be on a roster in the not-too-recent past. Is it, Gigi Jackson took 24 shots in that game. Um, Dude, they're, they're, go, go they're, for it. Go for it. Go for it, Gigi. Their entire available roster consisted of Luke Kennard, could be an interesting trade. And by, and by the way, can Luke Kennard use these games to take like 25 threes? Like, why are you three of five from three or whatever? It was just freaking shoot. Well, somebody's got to pass it to him. Luke Kennard, David Roddy, three two ways, three 10 day hardships. That's big what they're body, out there. Big body stuff. David Roddy, one of my but, favorites. But, you know, back to your point, the, like the Mavericks have had 20 something starting lineups and we they haven't even played their 50th game yet. They played their 50th game uh, Monday night here. In Philadelphia. Now, if you want sunny side up, Kyrie Irving, after missing six games due to a sprained right thumb, getting a couple practices in, you know, he's getting his feet under him, should be ready to roll in Philadelphia Monday night. And boy, do they need him, if nothing else, just to get Luca's workload back to a somewhat Honestly. reasonable, manageable level. I might try to get Luca to sit a couple of games with Kyrie back and just sort of just can you just sit and chill because it's been crazy his workload. Um, on Kuzma, um, you mentioned power forward and the Mavs. I think I think do need one more guy at the three, preferably the four, who can like do some stuff on offense. You mentioned PJ Washington, which is one of my favorite names. I I've, I've said the words PJ Washington more on this podcast that is frankly reasonable since since like August. I'd be trying to steal that guy. Not that he's great, but I just think he's a good player on a good contract and he's young. Kuz is interesting. Kuz is interesting. Um, I, I've always had a soft spot for Kuz. I, I think he's getting um, sort of smeared with the Wizards brush right now is like, oh, is this guy, can, can he play real basketball again? I think he can. He defends okay when he wants to. He's a good cutter. He's a very good rebounder. Mm -hmm. He looks like a good catch and shoot three pointer, three point shooter, and and the numbers say that is not the case. Um, right. He's thirty three percent for his career on threes, and not much better than that in most seasons on catch and shoot threes. Which is what, if you're the Mavericks, that's what you're looking at. I want to dig down and and see what are you going to look like shooting threes off Luca passes. Now, he has shot much better from the corners than he has above the break. And I think the Mavs could tell themselves, throw away all those numbers. Um, he was not a great shooter when he came into the league. And now he's just, whatever this Washington thing is, is a mess. Um, he's wildly overstretched there. He's going to get wide open shots from one of the best passers in the history of the NBA. Um, we think he can hit 40% on catch and shoot threes. If that's the case... I like I'm okay with the fit. Like his contract declines from like twenty six ish to twenty one. Like it's a it's a good value contract that you can flip again if you decide that's where you want to go. It fits in any trade. Honestly, like I don't know what Washington is gonna do. It would not shock me 
if they just hung on to Kuzma for the reasons I expressed right when we started talking about the trade deadline, we'll just trade him in the summer. And they they also like legitimately think he's a good player. It wouldn't even shock me. Well, it would it would surprise me a little bit if they hung on to Tyus Jones, uh, yeah. who's on an expiring. Minnesota's been mentioned with Tyus Jones a lot. I I'm not sure there's a path there um, from what I've heard, but again, nothing would surprise me. I just I'm not sure that's going to be the Tyus Jones team. Um, the Wolves are also pretty close to the luxury tax, uh, so they have to be careful there. Um, but the, the 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 Wizards are sending out and should be sending out the signal that we'll just re-sign Tyus Jones and trade him later, like the same same deal. Now he's expiring. I'm I'm not sure that's the case. They do need someone to organize life for Bilal Kulabali and Denny Avdia, who's also been kind of a name in the trade ether. I don't, I'm not sure that's real either. Um, so it, the, the Wizards are in an interesting spot. It should also be mentioned Kuz has a 15% trade kicker, which is which is big, and um, some unlikely bonuses in his contract that count toward the second apron or count toward the apron if the mm-hmm. Mavs end up approaching the apron. So, you know, I, I don't – if I can get him for – for just the pick, maybe like the pick and the the one pick they can trade in the salaries, maybe if I'm Washington, am I am I doing that? And I'm not. He's an okay fit. I don't. I don't know. Well, how do you th- how do you think the Mavericks feel? I think he's an okay fit. I think there's internal discussion about just how good of a fit he is. Uh, is it worth it if it's a pick plus you know some kind of of younger asset you know josh, a, a green. josh green you know honestly Jaden hardy is a guy who had more trade value going into the season uh than he does right now he's not had a great sophomore season so far um and you nailed the the three-point shooting like man you, you know you really would like to have a an above average three-point shooter to, to put on the floor with with luke and and kyrie and the rare occasions you actually get those two guys together um, so the question is, does his shooting, is, is that an, an, an issue as far as the fit? And really the main thing you're trying to do is improve your defense. And I don't know that Kyle Kuzma does that. I think um, he's, I, I would rate him as like average for his position when he's really dialed in, which again is like, I, is that really moving the needle? Well, he's one of the wizards best defenders. <laughs> um, he, that, that, he, he is a, a top half of the Wizards roster <laughs> defender. Yes. Uh, but you mentioned the contract is nice. And then, look, a lot of times, as Jason Kidd says, the Mavericks are playing advantage basketball because Luka gets doubled, trapped, all those kind of things more than anybody else in the league, and it's not close. And if you get Kuzma in a situation against a scrambling defense, can he capitalize on that? That's where you start talking yourself into, yes, he does make sense for the Mavericks. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to say. But you can over-index on shooting a little bit at the expense of, can this guy do off the dribble when we kick him the ball and maybe there's a good closeout? Like, can he keep it moving? Also, can he score one-on-one where then when there's six on the shot clock and yeah. they've doubled Luka and like the possession's kind of dead? He can do that stuff, and they need somebody else who could do that stuff, which is like, I, I think he's an okay fit there. Another team that you follow closely are the Houston Rockets. Um, I talked a little bit about Jalen Green last week with Shanae Agumake. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of reporting out there about um, the Rockets making a run at Mikhail Bridges, and I think most of the reporting has been they offered the Nets all their picks back from from the Harden trade, um, picks and swaps, and 
that would be valuable for the Nets because it's oh, hard yeah. to rebuild when you don't control your picks. And the Nets are, you know, kind of a rebuilding team. Where are the Rockets in general and specifically on Jalen Green from what you've heard? Yeah, so the Rockets, this has been a year of great progress for them. You know, the start of phase two, I would say, is off to a very good start. You know, they, they have a culture in place. They have kind of the the spine of what you can see becoming a pretty good team in place. And then if you talk about the young talent on the roster, let's be honest, Jalen Green, it's, it's been a roller coaster type of season. If we're ranking the young players on the roster in, in terms of what they've shown so far, uh, we're going to, we're going to put a few guys ahead of him at least, you know, clearly Shingoon, uh, you know, with uh, Jabari Smith Jr., um, slumping lately, it should be said, Jabari Smith Jr. Since he's yeah, come back from injury, has been quite quiet. Right, but you you see how he fits, and and the, oh, the, I'm a I'm a huge fan. He's a winner, right? And he's a defender, and that's the, like Ime Udoka. It's not hard. It, well, it's hard, but it's very simple to get on Ime Udoka's good side. Be a really good defensive player. Jalen Green is not that. Um, he's he's taken a step back. He's been he's had a, a really good run recently offensively. His season as a whole, he's taken a step back. Um, you know, and it, it, if he's not moved, and I, you know, I'd, I'd say the odds are probably that he's not moved just because. You know, I would agree. But I would agree. I don't know what right. the percentage chance is, but I, I would. It's below fifty in my opinion. Right, right. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'd say the odds are probably against it. I think it's setting up to be a very interesting extension discussion uh, season with him. I'm not sure that he's a long-term fit in Houston. I don't think the Rockets, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, are sure. And it, they are sure that they are interested in acquiring, you know, proven star or, you know, however you want to define Macau Bridges, like star types of, of players, you know, hypothetically say a, uh, a Donovan Mitchell might be on the trade block this summer. I think the Rockets would be very aggressive going after him. They they want the kind of player who can vault them into what they would consider phase three, which is we are a playoff team. We, we are a team that is, is going to be playing uh, in, in late April. How and, many and phases are there? Well, I don't know. They're just they're they're. Have they're you seen the PowerPoint? Two. Is there a PowerPoint? <laughs> All right. If everybody now click clicks over, this is phase five. Has uh, anyone ever enjoyed a PowerPoint presentation? Has any person ever actually paid attention to a power? You know, my favorite thing is when people are doing the PowerPoint presentation and it's just a, a list of bullet points, and all they do is read the bullet points. I'm like, I'm in the room. I know how to read. You are providing less than the minimum amount of like plus added value by reading the goddamn PowerPoint presentation. PowerPoint stinks and everybody stinks at PowerPoint. <laughs> PowerPoints. That's what the the term I like to use for guys like LeBron James because he's like a PowerPoint guard. That's the only kind of PowerPoint that uh, that I enjoy. It's it's relevant though that you mentioned Donovan Mitchell and look, Cavs the, the Cavs and their fans don't want to hear that this and I completely Agree with them. The Cavs have been awesome. Yes. Donovan Mitchell has been awesome. Evan Mobley played three threes in a game over the weekend, which is like, oh my god, if we could see a little bit more of that, that changes everybody's life. One game. Jared One game. Allen has been awesome, and you know, I, I'm not trying to steal Brian Windhorst' gig as the Jared Allen 
should be an all-star campaign manager, but he's been really, really good. Hey, look, I'm not putting Jared Allen in the all-star game again until he gets a defensive rebound in the playoffs. Like when we get, <laughs> when we get, he's been unbelievable. He was on my short list of all-star quote unquote snubs, which is a term I reject, but he's been unbelievable this year. If they get the Knicks again in the first round and Mitchell Robinson, forget Mitchell, Isaiah Hartenstein's getting every offensive rebound. <laughs> yes. Like I need to see Jared Allen get some defensive rebounds. Um, but so the, and the Cavs have no intention of trading Donovan Mitchell. They don't want to trade Donovan Mitchell. They want Donovan Mitchell to be a Cav forever, and maybe he will be. Maybe they'll be so good that he'll be like my New York dreams. My I'm from the Northeast. My dad worked for the Mets. The whole thing. Like I'll put those aside. But Brooklyn is another team that is theoretically setting itself up for a pursuit of a player of that ilk, of that caliber. They have a bunch of extra draft picks from Phoenix, and. I think that's kind of where the rubber hits the road on Mikhail Bridges because in theory, and mm-hmm. the NBA doesn't live in theory, an offer in which the Nets get all their picks and swaps back is very, very valuable to them and might be actually worth Mikhail Bridges, who's a very good player, has not made the next leap this season that I think the Nets hoped he would make, nor has Cam Johnson, by the way, and sort of mm-hmm. so the KD trade return doesn't look as pretty as it did a year ago. I actually think that's I think they did great in that trade. I still think that to get all the Phoenix Suns draft assets. But if you want to pursue a player of that caliber, you need other players that he wants to play with on your team. And if they don't have Mikhail Bridges Maybe they re-signed Nick Claxton. Like, I'm not sure that's enough to, like, I'm, like, super excited to be. I mean, the, one of the reasons why Cleveland made this trade for Donovan Mitchell was, like, here, here's an awesome team. You're just stepping in to a really good nucleus of players. So I think that's an interesting name to bring up in, in this respect. And I don't know what the Nets are going to do. I think they should probably trade Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal. And I would bet over 50% that both those guys are on different teams in five days. Um but I think the Rocket stuff is interesting. To me, I've already said this. I'm holding. I'm not doing anything rash at no, this point if I'm the Rockets. No, but you're exploring. You're, and, you know, you're aggressively exploring. You're not doing anything rash, but you're aggressively exploring. And I think, you know, the fact that they are being persistent with the Nets is interesting because, hey, maybe if it's not before this, this deadline, maybe there is a point where the Nets say, you know what? Hey. We are a team that is going nowhere but has no benefit to being bad. And a trade with the Rockets would give them that that trade with the Rockets where they're getting their draft capital back and they're giving up their best player. It would give them benefit to being bad, right? Hey, here is the route to rebuilding. We are delivering it back to you and taking your best player in return. And, you know, Macau Bridges happens to be the Nets' best player who would be such an Ime Udoka guy. I mean, could you imagine a defense that has uh, Mikhail Bridges and Dylan Brooks just hounding people on the wings? Jabari Smith Jr. at the four, who's a really, really good young defensive player. I mean, you know, you 100% see exactly why the Rockets have that level of interest, and you see why that deal would make sense for the Nets, but the Nets are not to that point. They are not to the point of saying we're going all in on a rebuild, and that's exactly what that trade would signal. You know how in The Simpsons um, at the nuclear power plant, or as Homer once called it, the nuclear panner plant or something, uh, they had the sign that's like one day without 
a safety issue or something like that, and they would keep crossing it off. I want Dylan Brooks. Can, uh, we, you ju- can we just have, like, it's February 5th. All-Star, we're going to have a week off for All-Star. No games. Can we get to March 1st without a Dylan Brooks incident? Can we, can we, set, can we just take baby steps, like, 10 games without a Dylan Brooks incident. That Jared Vanderbilt thing, and I realize that's not how Jared Vanderbilt got hurt. And by the way, Jared Vanderbilt's right. injury is a huge deal for the Lakers. A huge deal. That Jared Vanderbilt thing was dangerous and irresponsible. And they're lucky, everyone involved is lucky, that he did not get hurt on that shoved dunk. Because you know Andrew Bogut's career was like, not ruined, but changed forever by that same play. So I want to I start the Dylan Brooks days without an incident Um you know, sign. So I'm looking at their schedule for the rest of the month. Oh no. They are going back to Memphis uh, on the, on Valentine's day. There's no one there for him to have an incident with. I, he doesn't even know anybody that's it, playing for the Grizzlies. It's Dylan Brooks going back to Memphis. There's going to be something. Uh, they play the Suns twice and they play the thunder twice. Uh, so what I'm saying is there's some, you know, marquee matchup type. They also play the Hawks. Uh, with, with Trey Young, I just I don't like your odds on that. He is good at making himself the protagonist of every story. He's the center of every you know teams win because of him, teams lose because he's gone. He's he he's very good at, at no, that. No, no. No. Listen, he told us during the playoffs last year, one of the last times that he talked because he didn't talk after any losses. Uh, he he told us then that it's just the media portrays him as the villain, the man whose nickname that he. Once embraced, and I think has again, is Dylan the villain. But it's the media's portrayal. It's not. It's not reality. So you stop doing that portraying, please. Dylan the villain sounds like um, a cartoon that my daughter would watch. Like, oh, another episode of Dylan the villain is on. Like, and he, like <laughs> now, and by the way, all that said, he's a very good player when he makes shots, and he's made shots this year. He made shots for Canada. He was unbelievable. Okay, enough, Dylan Brooks. Um, I have no idea what else I was going to say about the Rockets. Uh, good luck to them at the trade deadline, and good luck to the Brooklyn Nets as well. Um, <laughs> another team you know nice. well, um, the Utah Jazz. Uh, a bit up and down since since they kind of roared back into uh, the play-in tournament, but they are 25-26. and 26, Got a win last night over the Bucks, as we mentioned. Um, you know, look, they, made, they, they uh, punted on their season last year yep. with the Conley trade. Um, I have, I, I think they should do everything they can to get into the play in tournament this year. I think it would be great for their young players to experience it. Um, and I, in that, that said, I don't know that there is a Mike Conley style trade that just torpedoes their entire season. I think they could afford to trade one guy from their rotation, whoever it is and survive it. Um, there's definitely teams that are interested in Fontecchio. I don't know what the Jazz's plans with Fontecchio is uh, at this point. And Olinick is obviously the name that's yeah. going to be really, really bandied about an expiring contract, as as we have talked about. And there was some buzz over the weekend that Utah has signaled. Now, this is just buzz I've heard. It could be wrong. so why I have you on the podcast. Uh, signaled um, – an increased willingness to move Kelly Olenek at the right price. Uh, I had one GM of another team say, at this point, I'd be surprised if they don't move Kelly Olenek. And this is from a team who would like to get in on something with Kelly Olenek. What have you heard about the fight in Utah Jazzers? Well, I, I think last year gives a very clear indication that the Jazz aren't going to go all in for the play-in. They are trying to build 
a contender as quickly as possible. It's exactly what Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and Ryan Smith told me last year. Nothing has changed there. If they land in the play-in, great, but that is not going to be their goal. That is not going to be what guides them in the days leading up to the trade deadline. Um, now, I do think if we're going to talk about the Jazz, like we we should note they owe their first-round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder from the Derek Favors salary dump. That is top 10 protected. I also do not envision a scenario where the Jazz, they'd have to do some pretty serious tanking to, to get into that. I don't think that's going to guide anything. That's just something to note there. Um, you know, they could end up sending the 12th third right now. I think it'd be 12 or 13 that they would send to Oklahoma city. Um, they Kelly can also Olenek buy, by the way, everyone's tell- talking about the jazz as a seller. They could do both. They could do, they could trade Olinic and then trade some stuff for another player. And they've looked at guards all over the league for the past year. I think less so recently than they did in the off season, but uh, they're interesting in that regard too. Well, and again, a buy would not be about foot on the uh, foot on the pedal to, to the play and a buy would be about hey can this guy help us next season the season after that the season after that everything they do is going to be with a long-term view nothing's going to be about okay hey these next couple months um kelly Olenek, for the reasons you laid out expiring contract you know the type of versatile big man that really every good team could use he's absolutely going to generate or is generating a lot of discussion, as somebody with the Jazz told me, everybody wants Kelly Olenek. Is somebody willing to pay the price it'll take to get him? And I don't know exactly what that price is. I just, you know, I think Danny Hange has a pretty strong track record that would uh, tell you that he does not take discounts. <laughs> if um, you can get a first-round pick, even a bad first-round yeah. pick, even a first-round pick that's probably going to be 25 or lower, mm-hmm. for Kelly Olenek on an expiring contract or the equivalent of that in seconds – I think you just have to do that trade. Yes, even though would, even though it hurts your team, it hurts your versatility, it hurts your, your it hurts your backup unit. Maybe I can keep Fontecchio and turn him into the Olenek of my bench unit. He's not as good of a passer, but he can shoot and he's kind of a ball mover. I just think you have to do that trade. Whether they get that, I don't know. But if enough teams are interested, I could see like a very very heavily protected bad first that conveys quickly being maybe available to. I think you just have to do that. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you mentioned the guards. They do really like Keontae George, the rookie. They should. He was starting for a while. He's coming off the bench now. They see him as a potential, as their potential lead guard of the future. Um, Colin Sexton, since he's been in the starting lineup, has really put up some numbers. He's playing well. You know, they he's not a point guard, right? He he's a six foot two or whatever he is, bucket getter. Um, you know, play hard guy who's not a great defender. It wouldn't shock me if they sell high if something comes along on uh, on Colin Sexton. You know, Jordan Clarkson's a name you hear a lot of. It was a, a unique extension that he signed, where it's basically a balloon payment this year, and then it gets back down to the next couple of years, mid level ish type of money. You know, how many teams in the league could use a six man of the year? Candidate coming off their bench, uh, generating offense. Um, yeah, I don't want to put percentages on either Sexton or Clarkson getting moved, but I, you know, there will be phone calls about those guys for sure. I may be too bullish on Colin Sexton. I've always had a soft spot for him. If that same equivalent offer that I mentioned for Kelly Olynyk comes across the board, it's a bad first, and that's it. 
And filler. The filler salary you need. I don't think I'm doing that for Colin Sexton on his contract. I think I want to learn a little bit more about how he fits what I'm trying to build in Utah. He's good. He's got his flaws. He's good at what he's good at. He's bad at what he's bad at. I like Colin Sexton. Will Hart um, has developed a soft spot for him. And, you know, Will has been very <laughs> honest about he had to stop focusing on, you know, intel from previous, uh, you know, maybe some previous coaches who had worked with him and stop focusing on Colin Sexton isn't X, Y, and Z. He isn't a point guard, this, that, and the other. And start focusing on, hey, here's what he is. And he's a guy who upbeat attitude, works his butt off, and puts the ball in the basket on a pretty consistent, fairly efficient basis. Uh, real quickly, um, I want to hit a couple teams at the top of the list. Uh, I've mentioned the Clippers as a team that I think will kick around one more guy, preferably a power forward or a center, because they're a little small, at what, particularly when Kawhi is off the floor. Olenek would be on my list of people. I've mentioned Finney Smith, P.J. Washington, all the same names. I think they have interest in all those guys. The problem with them is if they, they have one pick to trade and they're going to be in the second apron next year if they have Harden and George on the team, which I would suspect they will. Um, in which case, their, their 2032 pick would be frozen. So if they mm. trade 2030, which is the one they have to trade now, they have no picks at all available to trade. No first at all, nothing to do. And I think they're probably a little wary of that. So it's going to have to be a home run deal for the Clippers to put that pick in, I think. And so I'm not, and I'm not sure what they can get absent putting that pick in with PJ Tucker's expiring, unless they want to trade uh, out of their he, rotation, which I don't think they should do. I don't believe PJ's expiring. Oh, that's right. He's got player option. You're right. 11 million player option for next year. I'm going to go um, ahead and uh, guess and, he'll pick that one up. And yes. And by the way, you know, look, they had the one loss in Cleveland uh, last week. They just keep on winning and they've, you know, they've looked at Washington, Detroit. They are 33 and 15. They look unbelievable. They're 25 and five since they've gotten their feet under them after the hard trade, you could argue. They, they've won 25 of their last 30 games as we speak right now. You can make a strong case, and our pal Perk has, that the Clippers are the best team in the NBA right now. And I think you can, uh, you know, make a pretty foolproof case that this is the best chance the Clippers have ever had to uh, make a championship run. Yeah, obviously, which, is, on- which is why I expect them to be pretty aggressive looking around for one more guy. And if it costs them that first, it's going to be some uncomfortable conversations internally with the Clippers. Is this guy worth it? And as I talked about last week, it could, the Clippers are in the stratosphere now with Boston and Denver. And Milwaukee's a whole different thing. They need to do something to get one more bench guy there. Um, where they, Oklahoma City, Minnesota maybe, who's been pretty active, of, yeah, even if we're not sure this guy is one of our top eight players that we're getting, we just need another guy in case... Paul George sprains his ankle and is out for two weeks. We still have two stars. That's the benefit of the three-star model, right? We can survive there. But, like, just someone to sop up minutes. And maybe we do get into a playoff matchup where he's a perfect guy to play for 18 minutes a game. Um, I would keep an eye on Bones Highland. I, I think there's some Bones Highland for some second-round picks deals out there for the Clips to 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 sort of – I'm serious, to, like, get some uh, yeah. picks in the door. By the way um, – I mean, I hear you, but there wasn't much of a mark for Bones Highland last year, which is how he ended up on the Clippers. That's true. Um, so, Joel Embiid's not going to be in the MVP conversation. 
Luka Doncic, I, the Mavs are just gonna are, are gonna have to win a lot more games for him to be they, they, to win they, to win the MVP. He's gonna be on ballots, and he should right. be. But to win, you can't be eighth and win. Right now, right now, he is a a fringe candidate for the simple fact that they're in the play in. Yeah, you can't you can't be eighth and win in a year when Jokic is healthy and putting up the numbers that he's putting up, and Shea Gilgeous Alexander is healthy and putting up the numbers he's putting up, and Giannis, who right. for some reason has not been talked about as an MVP candidate much because the Bucks have been a strange mess for a lot of the year, <laughs> um, although they're second in the East, is putting up he's oh, just thirty one and eleven. Six assists a game, like that's probably a career high for him. I think I just watched uh, the man have forty eight, ten, and five. <laughs> a menace on defense. Uh, I'm not sure I can quite go this far. I, I, I'm that's a very good top three. They've mm-hmm. all been healthy. Uh, Jokic, Giannis, Shea, whatever, whatever order you want to put them in. They've all been healthy. I'm not sure I can put this guy over those three yet. I'm not sure there's been a better player in the NBA for the last month than Kawhi Leonard. It's it's just terrifying how good he's getting again on defense. He's everywhere. He's now doing the thing again where he just takes the ball from people. Like very like the thing he used to do in San Antonio. He's like, oh, you have the ball. You might not even be dribbling it. Would you mind if I just took it out of your hands and went the other way? Because I'm going to do that. Um, he's averaging 24 points. Uh, six rebounds, four assists a game. So the numbers are never going to jump off the charts compared to the other guys. Um, but he's shooting 45% on threes, 53% overall. He's almost at 50, 40, 90. Um, and he defensively, you know, between him and Giannis, pick, pick who you think has been better this year. But he's at he's at peak Kawhi making plays and just mm-hmm. enveloping people on defense. And I heard J.J. Redick talk about this during the game last night against Miami where, you know, it's going to be hard to vote him MVP because he has two other stars on on his team to do a lot of the heavy lifting, which is, you know, when the Warriors got Durant, it's like, well, they, it, they kind of disqualified everybody from MVP. I would push back a little bit on that because Kawhi just kind of does everything. Like, he's the only one of the three that does everything. Defensively, he's even better than Paul George and way better than Harden. Uh, who has bought in, by the way. Harden's playing pretty well defensively for them. Um, offensively, he can orchestrate the offense when Harden's on the bench and sometimes when Harden's on the court, when they have mismatches, when they want to play that way. And he's an incredible spot-up three-point shooter. Um, I, he just does everything, and he's people are worried about him every single possession. I Again, I can't... Those three guys are putting up incredible numbers, but Kawhi's getting into the conversation. Kawhi's getting into the upper echelons of the conversation, and that should terrify everybody in the NBA. The, yeah. JJ said it last night. This is the last thing. I'm sorry. He said, this looks like Kawhi from 2017 in San Antonio. He said, this is this looks like Kawhi in San Antonio, vintage Kawhi. Yeah. I think this is the... Now, he had a run like this late last season and into the playoffs in Phoenix. I think this is the best he's looked since San Antonio. I think that's absolutely accurate. I think the reason it's difficult to say Kawhi is a top-shelf MVP candidate is just because Jokic, Shea, Giannis are like the numbers they're putting up for teams that are winning, although the Bucs are – that's a separate The Bucs are winning. The Bucs are winning. They're a mess, but they're – well, they're not winning recently, but they're in the aggregate winning. Point being, like those guys, the numbers they're putting up are just – insane for teams that are winning now 
If the Clippers end up with the best record in the Western Conference, I think you can make a case uh, for Kawhi at that point. I think that's a very realistic possibility. I also think that if you're going to make the case for Kawhi at that point, I hear all the shouting from New England right now, from Boston. Hey, if you can make that case for Kawhi, what about Jason Tatum, who's averaging 27, 8.5, and 4.5? And and right, well, can I tell you why? <laughs> you can. Because at at full health, and that's obviously the caveat, and it's always going to be the caveat for this team and this player, he's better than Jason Tatum. I, I just think Kawhi's better. And I love Jason Tatum. He was my preseason pick for MVP. I think Kawhi has been better this season. Um, but I love Jason Tatum. I have no problem with him butting into this conversation. He's incredible. Um, he's the best player on the team with the best record. I honestly think if you went to 100 coaches and front office executives and said, who'd you rather have in a playoff series? Or who would you be more frightened of in a playoff series? Shea Gilders Alexander or Kawhi Leonard? I kind of think Kawhi might win that poll. despite well, I, I, Yes. For the simple if, fact that you've seen it. You've seen the guys. And, I'm gonna, and this is going to sound... This is going to sound blasphemous, not to channel Stephen A. If you pulled that same pool of executives and said, assume full health for everybody, assume full health, full health, same question, Kawhi or Giannis, Kawhi or Embiid, I think those polls are pretty damn close. Kawhi or Joker? I think it's Joker. I think yeah. Joker, fresh off the title run, has, has wins that pool. Hand, right. Maybe funny thing, is, funny thing is, I think last year might not have been. Well, last now, after what over, we saw last year in the playoffs, it, to me, it's like there's no argument against it. I'm just like, that's how good this guy is. Um, obviously, health and availability matters, right? Like, that's just the bottom line. But given Embiid's track record in the playoffs, which is just okay by his incredible standards. And Giannis is Giannis. Giannis is like, if Giannis wins that poll, I had no problem with that. Uh, you mentioned Joker. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Denver because I, th I think I saw a quote last night that Michael Malone said uh, he doesn't think Calvin Booth is like lighting up the phone lines, trying to upgrade the team at the deadline, despite all the attention that has been placed on Jokic's incredible plus-minus numbers, which indicates that the bench is, again, hemorrhaging points. The bench is young and untested. The Murray-Reggie Jackson combo, which kind of has to play no matter how you juggle the rotation, has to play a little bit, is small. They're minus six for the season, those two together. Um, and I kind of agree with Michael Malone. I don't sense that the Nuggets are like urgently worried about their bench. I've said all season, I kind of like all their bench players. Peyton Watson is getting yeah. real interesting right now. Real is close some games for them. It's getting real interesting. I, Strother's injury is a big deal because he was emerging as like, this guy is a knockdown shooter on the move, which is what they need. Christian Brown, I like. I love that Michael Malone gave him kind of a pep talk in the media this, this week saying yeah. he's like better than he's shown. Jackson does what he does, and the DeAndre Jordan Zeke Naji doubleheaded center is not great. But whatever, you're just you know, don't don't do that. Don't oh, do that, Tim McMahon. No, because last year we worried. Oh, oh my gosh, what are they going to oh. do with the backup center? And then it's it's they're not going to play. Well, this is what Najee we've seen. Jordan. They're playing Aaron Gordon at backup center when it matters, and they've done that some recently. So like, let's not worry about their backup center. We saw it last year in the playoffs. Aaron Gordon's their backup center. So we've seen it a little more recently, right? We've seen them start in games where they're like, oh, you know what, let's care about this game for a half. Uh, when Jokic rests, instead of a full bench mob or Murray plus a full bench mob, we're going to go Murray, Gordon, 
and three subs with Gordon at the five. Or we'll go Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and DeAndre at the five. We're going to load up these reserve units and Mm -hmm. see how it goes. And guess what? It goes pretty goddamn good. For the season, I looked this up today on Cleaning the Glass. Murray and Aaron Gordon, without any of the big men, without Joker, Najee, uh, DJ, so Aaron Gordon at center. That's a good proxy for like Jamal Murray, no Jokic, Aaron Gordon at center. They've only played about 75 minutes together for the season, and they're even in those minutes. And I just think the Nuggets are kind of on cruise control. And if they're healthy, to me, like they've owned the Clippers for years now. Now, this is this is the best Clippers team that they're going to have ever faced if they do face them at any point. I just think they're better than Phoenix. Phoenix has is, is been pretty good. They feel very small to me um, in, when they have their main lineups on the floor. Um, and maybe it doesn't matter. Their offense is so good. They have a couple trade exceptions that are are going to burn a hole in their pocket. One's about $5 million, One's about $6 million. And, and when they're in the apron next year, they won't be able to use those trade exceptions because of the new rules that are so esoteric. I only kind of understand them. So I don't I don't know what they're going to do. They have Nasir Little salary. I think they'll probably find one more guy in they, the next. They'd week. like to add some athleticism to the wing, which gives them something in common with every other team in the NBA. Yes, I just I still think the road to the finals goes through Denver. Now seating is yeah. going to matter. Like like who has home court? Um, you know, uh, who has home court? Who has to face the Suns in the four five? matchup like you probably want to avoid that matchup Denver's we saw the power of their home court advantage in the playoffs last year they lost one game I that's going to matter but to me it, the road still goes through Denver despite by the way congratulations to Chris Finch sincerely coaching the all-star game uh, for the Wolves number one in the West right now another alarming fall from a head loss against the Magic over the weekend with another clunky fourth quarter that's to be figured out but to me as long as Jokic and Murray are healthy like the road to the finals goes through them. That's the best two-man game in the league. There are no answers for it, and Jokic is the best player in the league. Hundred percent agree. And then Aaron Gordon's one of the best role players in the league, and just such a perfect fit for that group. Agree with you on Peyton Watson. You know, going back to last year during the playoffs, they were very confident. Hey, they knew they knew the odds of keeping Bruce Brown were minimal. They were very confident Peyton Watson was going to be able to step in and be a quality rotation player. That's proven itself. And again, the whole thing about their bench. It's down to this. For eight or ten minutes a game in the playoffs, can they survive while Joker catches his breath? They certainly did last year with Gordon playing those minutes at the five, and I anticipate that they'll be able to do that again. Okay, last thing to McMahon. We're going to have no Joel Embiid likely for the All-Star game and maybe to probably no Julius Randle for the All-Star game, um, you, which means we need two injury replacements. I want to know who your injury replacement picks are for the Eastern Conference. I'm planning to give my good pal Adam Silver a phone call and suggest something very controversial. Let's take those injury replacements from the Western Conference because there are a lot more deserving players in the Western Conference than there are in the Eastern Conference. So I don't, I don't hate the idea. And it, it, look, if if we had a whole time and we picked teams. We can yeah. put two guys from the West on the East team. I don't hate that idea, Tim McMahon. So who would you nominate? I'm going to give one nod to my guy, Gobert. Gobert. The Wolves tied for first place in the Western Conference. They've already got old Finchie going. Ann Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. No offense to Cat. I thought Gobert should have gotten the nod over him. They're the number one defense in the league. That's the primary reason they're the tied for number one team in the West. 
And then, man, I've got to choose one of the kings at that point. And Wait, that, did you just you just picked two guys already, didn't you? No, go pick go, just Gobert. Okay, Gobert, and then one of the kings. Okay, flip. A, I'd probably go Sabonis. I mean, the guy's leading the league in rebound and averaging like twenty-one points and eight assists per game, and is not an all-star for a team that's winning. Wow. Uh, so you cheated, and I respect it. Yes, uh, I followed the rules, which. Who knows why there are rules? By the way, why did we take the Elam ending out of the All Star game? What was what, what what was that too fun? Like I don't. Know. I'm still trying to figure out the whole Rising Stars format. So oh, the Rising Stars, the Poulian Weed Eater Kia Sprite Taco Bell Rising Stars game. I don't understand it. I don't care about it. It's not watchable. Um, but I liked the Elam ending, and I I kind of thought it worked in the All Star game. And I guess we just don't want the All Star game to be good. Um. I picked Derek White and Trey Young in that order as my uh, all-star replacements, but I respect you breaking the rules. And speaking of the Kings, Mike Brown, I'm putting you on blast. Uh Love Mike Brown. Okay, none of the Kings made the all-star team, as you just documented. To To Anscape's Mark Spears, Mike Brown says, quote, It's clear to anyone who watches the NBA and Kings basketball that De'Aaron and DeMontis should have been selected for this year's All-Star Game. Blah, 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 blah. Every year there are deserving players left off the team. But to me, this is truly a glaring wrongdoing. It's not just a glaring wrongdoing. It's truly a glaring wrongdoing. So Mike Brown, you have violated the first rule of All-Star Discourse. Which is, I don't care if you're the coach of the team. I don't care if you're just trying to pump your guys up in the media and you feel obligated to do it. You are required to tell me who comes off the 12-man roster yep. to put your two guys on the team. Because I got bad news for you, Coach Mike Brown. 11 of those spots are locked in and spoken for. And I went through it in my column. I'm not going to go through it again here. There was one not solid, rock-solid, locked-in spot on the Western Conference 12-man All-Star team. And it went to Carl Anthony Towns. On my ballot, which counted for nothing... It went to De'Aaron Fox. So don't yell at me, Coach Mike Brown. I picked De'Aaron Fox by a hair over DeMontis Sabonis. But you got it. That should, that's the rule. So who's it going to be? He should have to come out and say, I think DeMontis Sabonis is better than Carl Anthony Towns. Bulletin board material. Come out and say it. Don't, don't wag your finger. Don't wag your finger at us. It's the same thing. By the way, LeBron going to bat for Trey Young. Clutch, clutch, clutch. Oh, double sure. clutch. Double clutch. Same same thing. Who are you taking off the team? Who who and 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 by the way, I think the players voted Trey Young sixth among Eastern Conference guards. I think I'd have to double check that, but like you might want to talk to some of the guys in the locker room about how they voted. By the way, the player balloting is a complete joke. I mean, <laughs> look at some of the guys who get votes. I wish that we at least would see the voting tally for the coaches. Now, you don't have to put the names. I understand the, the reasons you're not going to put the names next to the votes. I at least wish we would see the voting tally. Because some of these coaches, like if you listen to their pregame press conferences, I think they vote for like 18 reserves each year, uh, if you just believe what they say. Um, by the way, my real answers in the East would have been Trey Young and Chris Stapps Porzingis. Those would be the two guys, if I have to go East, that I would – uh plug into those spots it's nice that no one uh player hater tim mcmahon still has some fond feelings toward former dallas maverick Kristaps porzingis it's, it's nice that's that's listen, sweet listen it didn't work out for porzingis in dallas honestly i always enjoyed my conversations with him i think that he has been humbled and learned a lot i also think that a guy who 
was one of the most inefficient post players in the league during his time in Dallas. You can chicken and egg the confidence of your, you know, impact on your confidence of the coach telling you get the hell out of there. But he's become one of the most efficient post-up players. So he's a little bit of a different player. I think he, he in some ways benefited from the route that he's taken to Boston. But there's no, there's no question that, and I was skeptical about the trade, there's no question that he has made a massive impact for the team that's got the best record in the NBA. Well said. Trey Young was indeed sixth in the player vote among Eastern Conference guards. Sixth behind Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Damian Lillard, Jalen Brunson, and Donovan Mitchell. All right. So make so make the argument for me, King James. Um, <laughs> Tim McMahon, we got a busy week ahead. Get to work. Thanks for spending some time on the Low Post Podcast. You know where to find Tim McMahon. He's on the Hoop Collective all the time. We got... Uh, you know, he's writing stuff for .com all the time. He's on television. He's got a microphone in his hand, talking at games, at shoot-arounds. He's everywhere. Tim McMahon, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And adios, amigos.